I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. Today I have a really special special guest, um, my friend Louis Maldonado. If you guys listened to the last podcast, um, I interviewed his older brother Dan, who is my friend in high school. Uh, this is his younger brother, and if you noticed, the intro music to the podcast is a little bit different today. It's a little change up from uh, my friend Tyler's music it's actually louis music he ended up recording it so it's really exciting to have him on talk about uh his music but he was also a really talented soccer player um growing up as well and he played at columbia with his brother dan uh i also got to see him play at del barton as well in high school so i just want to talk about him and talk with him about his journey and all the stuff that kind of went into becoming a soccer player and then his transition from playing soccer to real-life work, job stuff, and then how he got interested in music. So welcome, Louie, to the podcast. Thanks, Kev. It's great, great to be here. Um, I apologize if I talk a little weird. I'm a little sick, but um, I made it, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, it's really cool to have you here because, I mean, we were talking about this before we were recording the podcast, how weird it is to hear hear your, the sound of your voice because you've been just recording music yeah. and you're like singing or rapping yeah. and it, you're just talking on this one, which is pretty yeah. funny. It's the first time in front of a mic that I'm not like going over a verse or a line or a chorus. So. Exa- yeah, exactly. So it's it's really cool to see you like see hear your voice on Spotify. Like I'm, I was listening to Louis' album all morning trying to get ready for the podcast and then see that transition from how I remember Louis back in high. Like I knew Louis since he was like in fifth, sixth grade or so. Yeah. He, um, is it kind of blows my mind how much we've known, like how long we've known each other, yeah. uh, how much you've changed, how much <laughs> I've changed and kind of getting to sit here and kind of go after both of our passions, yours with music, mine with this podcast. Yeah. So it's really cool to see this transition happen as well. But what I really wanted to get into first was talk about your soccer career because this is a sports podcast. <laughs> so I had to get you on to talk about your uh, your soccer career, your yeah. sports career, all that stuff. So I guess to start off, how did you get involved with soccer? Um, <clears throat> I just had, it would have to probably start with Dan. I mean, Anything I've done, which is kind of funny, like in my life, Dan has like set the precedent for it. Um, just like growing up all the way from starting to play soccer, the same school, middle school, into high school, went to the same high school. Dan went to Columbia, I went to Columbia. Dan ends up living in the city, I end up living in the city. Um, I mean, I guess the only difference is that we work for different companies now. But Dan, um, Dan can't get rid of you, honestly. <laughs> yeah, like I've, I've literally followed Dan. Every, I don't know where I'd be if Dan wasn't around. I'd completely somewhere different. But um, I had started playing because of Dan um grew up watching him play when I was little um grew up watching my dad play um so it was was in the roots of the family for a while um and then yeah it was like I always looked forward when I was little just going to Dan's games um always being on the sidelines always trying to be a ball boy always trying to help always trying to be on the bench with the team and like hand out water it was it was great and like going to see Dan play was like the best part of like growing up Mm -hmm. I loved it and then eventually I started playing and um, 
yeah, that's how it all started with Dan and my my dad. Yeah, like how, around what age was that? Was that like around? Because I could imagine little Louie just kind of running around on the sidelines, yeah. like kicking the ball to himself and like trying to juggle and stuff like that while yeah. watching the game. So, were you like? Would you start because I started at like five? When did you start? I started five also. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my first team ever was the Wayne Panthers. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> I played for that team as yeah. well. The, the yellow, <laughs> the yellow jerseys, black shorts. Yep. Um, yeah, I was five years old. Uh, that's when I started playing soccer there. Um, and one of my earliest memories playing soccer when I was five was we had one game and we lost like 10 0, and I would just like came off the field crying to like my parents, just like. I can't be on this team anymore. Like it's <laughs> like I need to get out of here, um, and then I eventually transitioned to other youth teams and academies growing up. But that's where I got my start with the Wayne, the Wayne Panthers, man. Yeah, and I guess like early on, it's really hard to. I think I think in especially in U.S. soccer, it's really tough to get that skill development. Yeah. Really early on, what was that like from that early age? Did you feel like looking back at that experience? Did you feel like you were getting adequate playing time or experience with the ball, things like that? Yeah, I mean, I thought I was getting enough playing time. I mean, if I wasn't playing on my own team, I was outside playing uh, with my brother and my dad, or I was at Dan's games being like the halftime show, kicking during halftime yep. with all the little kids there too. Um, but yeah, technically, it just I just kept working at it. And I know Dan mentioned it in the, the previous podcast that um, – I just had, a, I don't know, I was just born with the talent um, a little more. I don't know, it just came to me easily. And then mm -hmm. um, just grew up playing. Uh, and then technically it was just after a little bit of practice, I just got got the hang of it pretty well and was able to excel um, and, and still have that lethal left foot that I have today. Right. <laughs> so when did you realize that you were, I guess, a little bit more talented than some of the other kids on maybe the Wayne, Wayne Panthers squad? Um, you, and then you started to transition over to other uh, youth club teams. Uh, I think it was like the ODP program. Okay. Um, they pretty much recruited all kids from around the Northeast region, um, I believe, and then made like a team of like the best players there. And I would make that uh, pretty consistently. And then that went on to, I forget the name of it, but it was, it was another like select team um, growing up when I was like eight or nine there. Um, and then from there is when, I joined Pasco around that kind of year, like nine, ten, the same club that Dan was. Mm -hmm. Dan was at um, high level there. Um, just a bunch of just good players. I was surrounded by good players um, growing up, which was awesome. And then I would always, from time to time, practice with Dan's team. Um, so like three years older, just playing up also helped me develop a lot quicker and just get the skills that I needed to to excel and kill it in my my age group. I guess. Right, right, and I I guess to kind of circle back a little bit and yeah. talk about that ODP experience because I for the listeners that don't know that stands for the Olympic Development Program yeah and it was kind of like this select team of kids all around the northeast region that would get chosen to play on this specific team to play other teams from other regions, regions yeah. throughout the United States yeah so even from that early of an age probably you said eight or nine mm -hmm you felt that type of, oh, okay, I'm... I can I, do this. I can do this. <laughs> or I'm, I'm a little bit better than the average kid that's playing yeah. rec soccer yeah, exactly. at that age. So yeah. it, it's, it's an interesting kind of wrinkle there. And then another thing that you just mentioned that I kind of wanted to get into because I'm an older brother. Yeah. So 
and that comp and it's not like me and my brother are that far in age gap and you and your brother are three four years like three years yeah. apart right so it's not like you guys th- are that far in of an age gap where you would be like it would be too much of a mismatch or anything like that there yeah. was legitimate competition between you guys uh going back and forth playing on the practice field how did you guys take that competition um whether it be a sibling rivalry, because I asked Dan the same question in the last podcast and he said, Oh, it was always friendly. But what, from your perspective, what was that like? I think it was always friendly. Um, we've always just wanted each other to get better. Um, whatever aspect of life it may be like in the real world or growing up playing soccer or, or just, just anything school wise. Like, um, it was always just friendly competition. Mm -hmm. Like who brought could, brought back good grades like it was just anything like make our parents happy um so it was, it, it was good it was good having him there and like always trying to compete with him um he was good still is till this day a good role model so i look up to and always to, to compete with and whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah and throughout this time at what age do you feel like you started specializing in just soccer or did you play any sports other sports growing up as well because i know in the back of my head just from experience and knowing you for a while yeah um what other sports you played but do you want to just kind of share to the listeners what other sports that you were interested in or you played growing up yeah um so along with soccer i had basketball uh i loved playing basketball too um but i was never really that tall i mean i'm still five eight right now so i'm not I don't know, I didn't really choose to pursue uh, basketball over soccer, but it was always something I loved playing. Uh, I still play to this day, just, like, shooting around, stuff like that. My grandma was a huge basketball fan. She would just stay up all night just, like, screaming at the TV. Um, meanwhile, me and Dan are trying to, like, sleep. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was a good time. I, I really liked basketball. And then my mom had this phase, seventh grade, though, Barton. Um, she was like, you just got to gotta move on to other sports. It was uh, try lacrosse. And I was oh, like, oh, so Louis was a lax yeah, bro. It, for a year, it was awful. Like, not that lacrosse is bad. I just didn't like it at all. Um, I don't know. I just couldn't get used to it. And then, I like, when the ball was on the ground, I would like kick it. I would, I wouldn't even pick it up. I think <laughs> I just kick it and run. Um, but that was just like a one little season. And then after that, my mom was like, "Ah, oh, you're right. You're right. Let's not, let's not do that." And but, I was like, yeah. "Right." And how far did you go with basketball? Basketball was up until I think I played seventh, eighth, or grade, eighth grade at Del Barton, and then. After that, you just kind of focused on soccer. Once high school hit, I was like, all right, let's focus on soccer. Yeah, because I, I actually do have a really funny story about this. Because, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember vividly where you were. I don't know what it was, but maybe we're going to get into it a little bit more later in the podcast. Uh-huh. But it seemed like around that seventh, eighth grade time, you're kind of sick of soccer or something like that. Really? Yeah. Damn. And you were talking remember. about like <clears throat> quitting soccer to play just basketball really yeah something like that i I don't know if you remember that but we're like i think me and dan were joking around like oh is he really gonna just play basketball instead of (laughs) playing soccer and basketball or dropping basketball for soccer yeah and he and i remember you saying yeah i'm playing basketball (laughs) oh god i don't even remember that happening yeah yeah well at least that that was what i remembered but um yeah i don't know that i always think about that when i think of louis because he was just like yeah i'm gonna just pick up basketball and play <laughs> basketball instead of soccer and then what? now i look at him and see what he did um in his soccer career and 
it being super impressive. So I can't even imagine yeah. if you gave up soccer um, during that time. I think it might have just been a phase. But, but yeah, yeah, but a big big fan of basketball still. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> As am I. Yeah. Like it's it's extremely fun to talk smack to your brother about the Lakers and stuff <laughs> like that. So um, yeah, I still enjoy playing basketball and watching it as well but yeah getting back to soccer and kind of that phase of post odp like i don't know how that program worked but was that throughout the throughout your age groups like as you grew older there were older odp teams that you got yeah. selected for as well yeah so i think it went up all the way to you 15 16 mm -hmm. right before high school i believe um, and then like, so regional ODP people would get called into camps and then you could go to ODP national and then represent the U S as like as a whole. I never got picked for that, but I just always remember making regional, but it was pretty much as a tryout kind of thing every year mm -hmm. or slash invitation. Um, and they would just pretty mix you up with a bunch of different players from all over, um, scrimmage style. And then coaches would just like be on their clipboards and you'd have a big number on your back. Um, and they pretty much like write down your number if they want you. If they didn't, then you probably never got a call back or an email. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was pretty much every year. Um, and then it just kind of fizzled out once high school came around, I believe. Because then high school soccer took over. Um, and then eventually academy took over. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I always remember ODP because I always have the ODP shirts at home still. That I like come home whenever I'm home. I just wear them just because they're a little comfortable. And right, right. They're always laying around somewhere. Now my, my dad wears them now, <laughs> I think. But uh, they must have been giant on you when you were a yeah, kid, like like, a like cape. nightgowns. Yeah, yeah exactly. A cape, cape, so I mean, with the that ODP experience, and then you kind of you talked about your club experience at Pasco a little bit, yeah. but getting into that a little bit more, what was like the training regimen like throughout the week and games, practices, all that type of stuff, and. Yeah. Can you just describe the environment there and what that training or like training atmosphere was like? Yeah, it was. Um, I believe Pasco starting out when I was younger it was like three times a week, um, with games usually every weekend, either in Jersey or somewhere in the Northeast area, or for tournaments like Florida or Virginia. Um, but the training there was that was good. Um, I remember um, our coach was Luis Mendoza who's mm. pretty much the head of TSF, which is a big club in Wayne right now. Um, but he's a great coach, still a great guy to this day. He's um, coached me ever since I was like nine or 10. Um, but it's super, super strict, I guess you could say, in terms of um, training, just kind of like a, not, I don't want to say cutthroat, but it was just super demanding, like have to get this pass right. If you get it wrong, then maybe a little runs or something. But um, it was just good to, to be in that environment to grow because if you made a mistake, it's no longer like on someone else. It's like on you and you have to make mm. up for it. And learning those kinds of lessons, just growing up when you're like nine or 10, it's just like, it makes you um, build like a higher amount of accountability for your actions, um, which helped me develop on and off the field. Um, just, just growing up and training with him and just that Pasco, that Pasco team. And then eventually when I made it to Red Bull, that environment was just crazy. Cause it's technically like a youth professional club. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just like practices were crazy, screaming at each other, it's like coaches cursing you out and stuff like that. So it was just it really made you have to be on top of your game or else you you won't play or like you'll you'll probably just get taken out or something. Right. And I mean, I think we I got into it with Dan a little bit yeah. about the the professionalism aspect of 
a club like the Red Bulls and playing for that team, yeah. even f on the youth side of things. And it's almost comparable to how things are set up in England or Germany mm -hmm. or France with the youth team set up, set up there with the youth academies and yeah. their age groups and trying to find the next Kylian Mbappe or like one of those guys that they can utilize for their professional team. Yeah. So it, it's really fascinating to kind of see that change in in U.S. soccer because the academy system hasn't been around that long since, and I think it started when me and Dan were freshmen or sophomores yeah, or really got time. serious yeah. during that time, and it's only grown since yeah. in importance to U.S. development. So what do you feel like that system is a really good system in terms of creating quality players in comparison to how it used to be with kids kind of just going through the youth system with, and if the academy system wasn't there, you'd probably just be playing for Pasco yeah. until age 18 or so, and then try to make it to college. But mm -hmm. what was, what were the differences between those two experiences? Um, just a, a lot more intense. I just, as I got older and moved on to Red Bull comparing um, with Pasco, just, Training was like every day, um, mm -hmm. maybe one day off, games on the weekend. Um, yeah, we just got a lot, a lot more. And, and I feel like the academy just helps a lot more also because it's also like kind of year-round kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. When club teams, like we only play for a little bit and you have your break. But academy pretty much training all year round. Um, and the competition level is also just incredible, like, the, the kids that I played with growing up at Red Bull, just the majority of them are pro now. I think like nine, eight or nine um, of my friends on Red Bull are pro. Um, Which is crazy to think I about know. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's wild. Like I grew up with, with kids that are now killing it in all over the world just at, at their respective clubs. But um, I think just the competition and the intensity is, is huge and something that we need to move towards also in terms of developing um, players growing up now. Um, I feel like like the programs in, in other countries, like you pretty much go into the club and you live there. Like you board there, you do your classes there, you have your education there. It's like the, the Barcelona exactly. like famed system. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think the closer that we get to that, um, which it probably won't happen because, I mean, for a while, I mean, we're, we're still working on it. But um, I mean, the closer we get to that, the better I feel like the development will be. Um, in the players growing up now in our generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's definitely a difference, I would say, in importance yeah. in education, I would say, standards in the U.S. in comparison to maybe in Europe, yeah. where the focus is really just trying to find the best soccer players, yeah. whereas I think in the U.S., people try to look for the well-rounded person, mm -hmm. um, especially because of the way things are set up still. Yeah. And most kids transitioning to college soccer after post-high school soccer or post-academy soccer instead of going directly to try to find a professional team to play yeah, for. exactly. So there, there's just a change in mentality there, and it's going to come eventually, eventually, I would say. Yeah. But I... I, I'm not exactly sure when that's going to happen. Yeah, still some work to do. Because, like, I mean, I feel like soccer is, like, a religion 
in like every other country, right? right. South America. Um, but I mean, I think the U.S. is, is taking strides to to try to get to that that mm-hmm. kind of development and focus on development. Right, and I mean, you and Dan had a little bit of a different experience in time in terms of, I guess, maybe getting chosen for Red Bulls um, yeah. itself, because Dan talked about him his whole club team from Pasco getting basically swallowed up by Red Bulls Academy and utilizing that Pasco team to be their inaugural, I guess, initial academy team. Yeah. Uh, I think on the U16 level. What was that experience like trying out for the Red Bulls team? Was it somewhat vaguely familiar with the amount of pressure that was involved? Um, I guess to the ODP type of the tryouts when you were competing with all these guys for a couple spots on a, a region team or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I tried out when I was 14 for the U14 team or 13 for the U4. So, yeah, under mm-hmm. 14. Um, but, yeah, I honestly kind of do, do still remember that day. Um, mm-hmm. I was wearing my Adidas white and blue cleats. Um, but it was kind of like the same setup as ODP. Um but just, yeah, a lot more pressure because, like, you go from ODP, which is, like, kind of just a program for just to get the best kids, but now you're representing, like, Red Bull and, like, I don't know, just holds a bigger name and, and just sounded cooler and, like, it looked cooler. Like, for me, that was amazing. Like, I'm trying out to, for, like, the New York Red Bulls. Like, I, I like, couldn't believe it. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of the same setup. Um, just they put kids in a bunch of teams, did a couple drills here and there, and then just scrimmaged and then they would just email back whichever kids they liked and to form that first U14 team. And uh, I think I made, like, the first two rounds that ended up making the team with um, just a bunch of other a bunch of other kids from all over, from Long Island, from Connecticut, upstate New York, um, New Jersey, a lot of New Jersey kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and I remember those groups. Like, I'm still friends with some of those guys to this day. A lot of them still playing pro. Um, but, yeah, I remember remember that process. It was awesome. Um, and then that's where I started, uh, my Red Bull career and then was there for the next four years until college. And I I guess to dig in a little bit deeper into that process itself of trying out for a team, what were some of the things that were there, were there specific things that you thought about or did during those tryouts to make yourself stand out, um, to these scouts basically, um, to differentiate, differentiate yourself from the next guy? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I, I don't know why it's a thing in soccer, but there's, like, not a lot of left-footed players out there for some reason. Like, for the most part, if you go to every team, it's, like, 75% righties, and then you have those, like, two two or three lefties. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a quality I always used, my left foot, um, just going down the sideline, just running past people, because I was pretty fast. Still pretty fast, but I don't know. I, my body doesn't keep up, up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm washed up now. <laughs> like, I, I, oh, God, I, like, pull my hamstring getting out of bed. Um, but it's just, it, it was a lot of just my left foot and just running up and down the field and just getting crosses in. Um, cause I was always more of just like a, I guess setting up the play, mm-hmm. um, just up and down the sideline as a winger or left back and just like utilizing that left foot, which is huge in soccer. Um, yeah, that was like the main thing. Um, and always just like, not, remember not to lose the ball, just keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Um, which has always been something that I try to practice all the time because a lot of, especially when you're younger, a lot of kids try to overcomplicate it and dribble and just try to show off. 
but I always just try to keep it simple, get the ball, maybe two or three touches, and give to the next guy. Um, but yeah, just keeping it simple and then utilizing that left foot, I think, were the two two main traits, along with my speed, that mm. I always try to, to use when I was in tryouts, whether it's ODP or just, just any team. Right, and I guess... I guess to kind of piggyback off of how you described your game a little bit, who would you, did, were there any players that you would kind of model your game after or looked up to um, being like a left-footed player? Were there any guys that were left-footed that you yeah. kind of looked up to um, to kind of look, um, I guess kind of be inspirations to your game? Yeah, I always, Danny Alves isn't left-footed, but I always just like his style of play. He's like, He's a little guy, and I'm not the biggest person either. Um, <clears throat> but he's always quick, and the best thing about a defender um, is that you could defend, but at the same time you could also attack. And so he would always get into the to the offense. He would always go doing overlaps over people. Just anything to get involved on both sides of play is something that I always like to do too, because I, I don't want to always just be categorized as a defender. I'd always like to get up the field, get some crosses in, um, set up some opportunities for goals. Just, just always running up and down the sideline. Um, but Danielle was like a huge, huge player that I always looked up to, even though he wasn't lefty. But just a good, um, just a good player and good, good game play. Yeah, and I, I mean, watching that Barcelona team at the peak of their powers, and I think how Danny Alves got really famous was because he was so good at making those overlapping runs, yeah. and then also tracking back and being able to defend his position at that, at that fullback position. Yeah. Um, and it was really impressive to be able to see that. And I, I remember watching you play a little bit, and that's kind of how you modeled your game after. You'd play that left back role or left mid, left mm -hmm. wing. Yeah. You're always on that left side because of your left foot. And it was really impressive to be able to see, I guess, even at a young age, how much soccer knowledge kids are able to develop. And yeah. in you, too, like just being able to – Oh, he understands the game. Yeah, he, he's not. He it's not something that he's trying to overcomplicate, like you said and alluded to before. But yeah. just keeping it simple, very two touch, three yeah. touches, and get rid of the ball. Yeah, and I think that's a huge part too. Just that's set that separates just like an average player to just like an amazing player. Is their soccer IQ? You just have to know the game. Um, in awareness too, just like you have to know there's going to be three defenders right behind you, even five minutes or not five minutes, like five touches before you get the ball mm -hmm. and just knowing where everyone is at the same time to be able to just know your decision before you even get the ball. And how, how much with all that being said, how yeah. did you, is that something you feel is innate in terms of soccer IQ, soccer knowledge, or how much soccer did you end up watching growing up to basically be able to develop that soccer IQ? Um, I think a little bit was innate, um, but at the same time, just growing up, just watching soccer every day, mm -hmm. <laughs> coming home, just watching TV with dad and Dan and mom, of course. Um, <laughs> but it, it was, it was a little bit of both, I think. Um, and then able to like learn that and then translate on the field and be able to practice it, just always being aware and stuff like that. Um, definitely helped. So it was, I, I think it was a little bit of both for me. Mm -hmm. And then I, one of the questions that I did really want to get into was how much of the how much how much of the the practice or side of things with Red Bulls was tactical because I think once you get to that higher level of play yeah most players are good with the ball most players are have a decent touch most players can make a simple pass make a long pass it's 
it's every player mostly has similar baseline skills. Maybe there's one guy that's a little bit better. Yeah. One guy that's a little worse, but relatively all in that same pool. And then the mental side starts to take over. So how much did Red Bulls kind of cater to the tactical <coughs> aspect of things? Um, we, we focused on that a uh, little bit here and there, just shooting drills, passing drills, opening up your body just to make sure you have more time. Um, but for the most part, at the end of each practice, we always ended with scrimmaging. And mm -hmm. that's, I, I feel like, um, especially when you're developing, just scrimmaging is the best way to learn because everything's fast paced. And then you just learn on the go. Like if you don't, like in one week, in the first week, you get the ball and you turn too slowly, then next week you'll probably learn from that and be like, all right, I got to touch the ball, like maybe a little less and then give it to the next guy. So I think scrimmaging is just the best teacher because everything's so fast paced. Everyone's just going 100%. Um, limited time to think, so you just have to learn a little quicker. And then I think it just turns into more of like an instinct thing from there. And then that's where you develop. But we still focused on like the, the basics of like shooting, mainly just for the forwards. Like I would be the guy just crossing it and just running up and down. They just play me balls, chest it put it on the ground um but for the most part I was, everyone's at the same kind of level technically <coughs> and we had focusing um drills from there but for the most part i think scrimmaging was the best teacher for all of us right and what i guess what was the because transitioning now because red bulls you went from age 14 to i would say all the way up until college right 18 yeah right so and during that 14 to 18, usually most people think about, oh, did Louis play high school soccer, all that type, type of stuff, and <coughs> what, yeah. into, what went into the decision-making between choosing high, playing high school soccer and playing <coughs> for the academy team? Mm -hmm. um, so I actually, the first year the academy came around, um, they didn't make us choose. Um, so I ended up playing both, which was the craziest year. I think that was sophomore year. Mm -hmm. Sophomore, yeah, sophomore year of of, uh, of high school. So I would pretty much have Del Bar in practice. From Del Bar, and mom would have dinner in the car ready, eat in the car, get to Red Bull, change into Red Bull clothing, go out to practice till like eight or nine or ten, get home like ten thirty, eleven try to bang out some homework till like 12, 12, 31, and then wake up and do it all over again because Red Bull was like three, yeah, four, four or five times a week. So that was one of the most hectic seasons. I was just playing for two teams. Um, and it was, I was able to pull it off, but it was, it was a lot. Um, and then the next year was when I had to decide. And it sucked because, like, I liked playing. Like, everyone loves playing for your high school. Like, when you play sports with the people you interact with and go to class with every day, like have it's inside awesome. jokes with yeah, and yeah. It's like yeah you develop such a like a, a cool bond and mm -hmm. it's, it's so fun um but then again i had to think about um just my personal development as a soccer player um mm -hmm. which like you can't it's not really comparable um the levels i guess you could say high school to academy um so i just ended up going with academy which was hard um but I was, I was, I don't know. I, I was pretty happy with my decision mm -hmm. after a couple, couple months passed by. I was like, all right, this is fine. Um, but yeah, I think just, just the intensity and just what was good for my personal development as a soccer player that helped me excel moving forward. Um, 
helped guide me to the decision of choosing academy over high school. Um, I ended up playing varsity only one year out of my four year or three years since you have to play as a freshman, a freshman soccer. But uh, Mr. Thompson's freshman. Mr. Thompson, yeah. 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 Greatest time of my life. Yeah. <laughs> missed, missed that guy. <laughs> missed the Indian runs yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. But um, so yeah, I only played one year of varsity, and from there I had to give up high school soccer and just pursue the, the youth professional team, I guess you could say. Yeah, I, I mean, I like to kind of joke around and be like, oh, I'm, I played the same amount of years as Louie did on <laughs> soccer. <laughs> so nowhere near the player, obviously, but um, got to play the same amount of years on varsity. But kind of going back and talking about that crazy balancing schedule and you outlining the schedule of balancing both teams in the same season, which to me sounds ridiculous playing on two teams. And I was an exercise science major in college, and the yeah. it just sounds like those players could get overworked. A lot of injuries possibly could yeah. happen just because of the amount of work. Were there any injuries or things like that that ended up popping up because of that? Because it just seems like playing five hours of soccer a day, yeah. and it's not even like you got a substantial break in between uh, those two practices. Yeah. Or if you had a game, then a practice, that just seems ridiculous to me it was rough um i had a couple groin like soft tissue injuries groin injuries here and there but nothing nothing crazy nothing mm -hmm. like no broken bones um nothing like completely pulling muscles just like strains here and i'll be sore all the time but whenever i got home i'd always try to jump in the, the hot tub and just like sit there um for like 10 20 minutes just to like let my muscles relax but yeah it was super hectic i was like walking limping everywhere <laughs> limping out my way to class mm -hmm. but it yeah, was, it was fun. It was stressful. It was super stressful. It was fun. Yeah, and it was like that balance between even we didn't even get get into this. Yeah, uh, we got into it a lot with Dan, but the balance between school and then playing on 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 the field, it just seems extremely strenuous. If you're starting homework at eleven thirty or whatever yeah. it was, it wasn't fun. Yeah, and then I think I was taking. <laughs> Mr. Thompson AP Euro class that's oh, no. too. Oh no. So I was just drowning in, in schoolwork just for that one class and all the other classes I had to take. But yeah, that was a stressful like four months right there. Once I mean once high school season stopped and I was like, all right, I get to relax a little bit and I just have Red Bull now. But those three, four months were rough. But I was I was able to get through it. It was it was fun. I just I don't know. It, it felt good just being busy mm -hmm. rather than just like sitting around doing nothing. But uh, I made it. I'm here today. I made it. I made it to Kevin's podcast. Yeah, I know. We're out here. Exactly. So I get to interview him <laughs> about that experience. And you also talked about the differences between high school soccer and that academy soccer experience not even being comparable, just skill level wise. Yeah. And even at a school like Del Barton, which is pretty well known for their high school soccer program yeah. throughout, I would even say the country, where if you said you went to Del Barton and played soccer, you you'd pretty be you would be well like people would know the name mm -hmm. Del Barton in other states yeah. things like that but even at that level you would see, you would see some of the differences um, according to your perspective what were some of those differences um, in level of skill and then also I guess describe some of the differences in play. Um. I think just that that baseline skill that everyone has. Because, I mean, in high school soccer, it's mm -hmm. more like everyone joins a team. Not everyone's on that same level. You guys, you have guys that are a lot better than others and guys that are still improving. 
Um, so I guess there's more time there to be dedicated to those who aren't at that level, um, which which means just more time with them, more drills, like just getting back to the basics, I guess you could say. Um, meanwhile, at Red Bull, everything, everyone was just on the same level and you could only go up from there. Um, so I feel like that that was one of the main differences. And then what was the second part of the question? And I guess just describing maybe the differences in play. Oh, yeah, just just a lot quicker. Um, the ball would just be moving. You don't really have much time to think when you're playing um, at a higher level, um, and that only increased once college soccer hit. Um, but, yeah, the game plays a lot quicker. You have to think a lot quicker. You have to know what you're going to do before you get the ball. Um, you know, in high school, I guess it was it was a little different just because you get the ball, you could look around, you could see, like, who's on the other side of the field, maybe pass it back. Like, you had a lot more time with the ball. Um, but, yeah, I think this, the, the speed of the game and, and the intensity was, would be the huge difference between the two. And, and you mentioned college soccer and yeah. that being another level up. Why don't you describe to me that college recruitment process while you were in high school, yeah. how you ended up deciding to go to Columbia, if there were any other schools that you thought about going to, or you were pretty set on Columbia, um, I guess pretty set on Columbia, just going for that one school. Yeah. Um, I don't know, describe that process. Yeah, so for Red Bull, they, we would always have showcases that we go to, um, which is pretty much... Usually in Florida, um, Florida or Dallas, or yeah, mainly Florida, but um, that just hundreds of college coaches would be there. And it was just mainly the the main reason for that is to, to compete in a tournament, but at the same time get looked at by coaches all over the world. There'd be scouts from other clubs, from Eng- English clubs and stuff like that, just looking at youth talent in the U.S. Um, and from there, that's, that's where I got contacted um, a couple different coaches. Um, I was getting recruited from Tufts in Boston, um, Colgate, Northeastern, um, Columbia, because uh, of Dan. Kev asked Dan, it's like, it would be cool if Louie came here. Um, mm. Cornell. Um, so those were the main five five schools. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just pretty much speaking with coaches. We have to have this kind of GPA if you want to be here, uh, this SAT score. Um, and as a as time went on, um, I, I couldn't really reach that SAT. I take the SATs like five times. I, <laughs> I literally have PTSD from SATs. Um, you don't have to date that anymore. Yeah. I think, I'm like, so happy. Yeah. yeah. I, I had to get like a certain score for Columbia and it wasn't working out. Cause I was just like, I wasn't feeling, I just wasn't doing that well as I wanted to. So originally Columbia wasn't really going to happen. Um, and I was almost like, I was pretty much the number one recruit for Tufts. And the coach was like, we're set. Like, you come here, just sign. Like, just say yes, confirm with me. And in the back of my head, I was like, ah, like, I don't know. Like, I really <laughs> I really want to, like, do this Columbia thing. And also during that same time period, too, my Red Bull coach, who was a Cornell alumni, mm-hmm. um, was helping me out with that. And he was getting me set with admissions office there. And I was pretty much set to go to Cornell also. Um, and then I took the SATs one more time, just be like, I got it. Let me just try one more time. And then I ended up getting the score for Columbia, um, and I was just like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta take this. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Tufts coach was not too thrilled. Yeah. I remember Connor Scheibel, um, who also played double R in soccer. He was, he went to Tufts also and he was talking to the coach there and just be like, yeah, Louis is a great player. Like we'll get him. Mm-hmm. And then once I told him like, sorry, I'm going to Columbia, like 
Connor was like, yeah, they're talking off a ledge. <laughs> <laughs> like he was, I feel, I feel bad. But, mm-hmm. um, and then Cornell was just like, yeah, I'm just going to go with Columbia instead. And my mm-hmm. coach was cool with it. He was like, anything to help you out? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was so stressful, man. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting that. those scores and especially for the Ivy League, you have to like hit a certain number. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just consistently didn't hit it four times in a row. <laughs> yeah. The fifth time was my last time. I was like, finally. And then, yeah, I ended up committing junior year of high school and then I just, pretty much just cruised senior year and then off to college yeah and i mean i think that's it's it's a way different story and experience than what dan shared last time because dan wasn't recruited from columbia but he was more i guess got on on his own he didn't get vouched by the coach and then joined which is crazy yeah and and (laughs) which is extremely impressive that he was able to get into that engineering program on his own without yeah yeah get the SAT scores and it kind of shows the I would say differences between you guys in terms of maybe Dan didn't have that same skill level soccer wise Mm -hmm. to get recruited outright but because of his grades he was able to get in and that on the other side of the coin you were able to show um, a different experience on how that college recruitment process took place and I mean with those conversations were coaches talking about playing time? Were they talking about um, coming in initially, what that would be like and how they envi- envisioned you on the field? Or w- did they just focus a lot of their conversations on you need to hit this score, you need to do this GPA level? Yeah, um, I think it's it just, it just a little bit of both. Um, so for Tufts, I was pretty much – guaranteed just a lot of playing time i think from the from the get-go from freshman year um probably starting and stuff like that um yeah and then with cornell um kind of the same thing just utilizing maybe from the first year going forward uh and then they still stress the grades too because tufts tufts is a good academic school um Mm -hmm. i just i just think for tufts it would have been a little different just because it's d3 Um, right so the competition wasn't as high so the coach was like yeah you'll probably be playing like freshman year and you'll get get straight to it as compared to d1 where it's a little bit tougher. Um, yeah, they said that yeah, you'll make an impact. We'll we'll have you. We'll utilize utilize your left foot running up and down the field. Um, so yeah, those those uh, comments were made in there along with the the grades and the the GPA, the SATs, and all that stuff to get to get admission straight. Yeah, and thankfully you were able to get that SAT score yeah. so that you were able to join Dan on the Columbia soccer yeah. team. And playing playing on the Columbia soccer team, I'm sure that was extremely awesome to be able to do that especially being able to see dan for the past three years uh be a part of the team and yeah. you were joining as he was a senior i believe and yeah. you were a freshman so what was that dynamic like having your older brother on the team being one of the seniors on the team and you kind of coming in being this fresh-faced freshman where maybe you didn't know how things worked and yeah. all that type of stuff it was awesome um i just anytime i needed a question just go to Dan <laughs> he was like across the locker room uh it was fun it was it was awesome um and and things like um sorry, what was I talking about um I just forgot um but yeah just having him be there just to show me the ropes mm-hmm. um I and then everyone would just call me little little Dan or just little Maldonado mm-hmm. um which is cool <laughs> <laughs> I, I, everywhere I go I just feel like I've been known as little 
Maldonado would be Del Barton. Yeah. Walk in the hallways. All of the older kids call me Lil, Lil Maldonado. Um, and it was pretty much the same thing at Columbia. And it was, it was just a great group of guys. I mm -hmm. um, still keep in touch with a lot of them today. But it was good having my brother there. And then my parents wouldn't have to worry. Like, my parents wouldn't be stressing out as if, like, I went to a different school and, like, maybe I was, I was in Boston or I was far away and my parents would be freaking out. But having Dan there really made things a lot easier. I think my parents were allowed to were allowed to relax more knowing that Dan was around. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was super, it was super good for adjustment wise. And I can't even, school. I can't even imagine what your mom would do if you were in Boston, yeah. not being able to see her baby boy, um, eat dinner with them, like on a weekly basis and do laundry and all that type of stuff. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's, I'm sure that was a really nice experience to have with your brother. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I want to talk about getting on the field and, yeah balancing schoolwork <clears throat> at Columbia because we all know that's a top five school in the nation being with it being a Ivy League school yeah uh, the academic rigors that are associated with it what was balancing the schoolwork and then playing on the soccer field um a lot of time in the library <laughs> Butler library my favorite place ever um I sent a hint of sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much time in that place. You're right, right. Um, but it was it was good. It, it, it was, I don't know, I feel like Del Barton prepared me a lot for it, mm -hmm. just with the workload that we had there and just balancing, already the balancing I had with soccer and stuff there, especially that one year. Um, so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I mean, for Dan, I guess it was different. He was in the engineering school, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I was just the regular liberal arts. Um, just taking those regular classes as a freshman and just getting like the core in there, science classes, math and all that stuff. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, honestly. It just, it just, um, I just had to be better time management wise. Um, mm -hmm. so whether we were at, at away games, have to do work prior or do or work on the bus. Um, but I mean, honestly, Warren really prepared me a lot for that. Um, so it was pretty, it's pretty good adjustment. What were your, what was the soccer I guess, aspect of that, like, because you alluded to it before and that the college game was a little bit quicker, but what was the competition level like? How were the other players skill level wise and how you stacked up to that? It was, uh, so as you get older, it just gets quicker and quicker. And then adding on top of that was the physical aspect. Um, mm -hmm. so you got like massive guys just can run all day or just like body you off the ball. Um, I mean, freshman year, I was just like a little twig. Like <laughs> I, I really didn't really, um, put on much weight until we started lifting during the spring season, stuff like that. And then just on my own, just getting that fitness and, and physical aspect to it. Um, but I mean, I felt like I stacked up pretty well. I mean, I played freshman year, like the first half of the season, had a, had a bunch of games there and, um, just doing the same thing I always done, just <laughs> running up and down the field, just mm -hmm. using my speed to get past people rather than my physical, um, um, traits, but, um, it was good. I think, I, I think I did well, um, just starting out as a freshman, um, and then was able to get some playing time there. But as I got older, I just needed to, to hit the gym a little more, um, get my fitness up, which is something I still like hate to this day. I know yeah. Dan talked about it too. It's like, I, I can't just like run to run. Like I need a ball involved. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could run all day, but like just hitting the treadmill and be like, yo, do five miles. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'd rather like play a game where the ball's involved and I could do a lot of running there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just that, that main aspect about the, f the physicality of it all, 
the fitness and then just getting quicker and quicker on the ball and just knowing what you do like faster than it was the level before it's just everything gets more intense and mm-hmm. um i think i i adjusted to it well and just kept getting better and better from there mm-hmm. and then i remember i would follow some of the columbia results just because dan was on the team i was kind of curious what how you guys were doing mm-hmm. what was were there any like highlights of that columbia experience whether it be results or anything like that uh, i think the highlight for me would be um just my senior year we actually last year there we won the ivy league mm-hmm. um which was probably like the best nine day stretch of my life because we just like partied for the rest of it right, right. like it was it was awesome to have it to have like my four years just end in like a we won something for the whole school and like the whole program and i don't think the last time we won one was like 23 years ago wow that's so, a long time yeah so we ended up winning and that was just probably one of the best memories of my life <laughs> you, yeah you probably weren't even born when yeah. you were when they uh last won it yeah, but it's crazy it's, yeah it's a really cool experience to kind of hear from I, i've heard it from you before yeah. about that experience and what that meant to you and to your school as well and i guess that kind of combines with looking back to high school soccer that pride that you would get from playing for your school yeah exactly it's like there's nothing else compares to it it's like Something about like spending time with some with the group of guys every every day, mm-hmm. waking up for that eight eight a.m. bus and just just struggling through everything together, doing sprints together, um, just taking care of each other and making sure we all do well on the field and then off the field we would always t- take care of each other in the classroom. Like if anyone needed help, it's like a bunch of it's a bunch of smart guys, great guys, um, and just. The, the thought of playing with them and spending every day with them and then actually having that result in like an Ivy League championship was just, it was amazing. And <laughs> just, can you just go through quickly, describe like a normal day yeah. in your life at in college? Yeah, so men, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, um, I believe it was practice in the mornings. So 8.30, 8.20 bus. Uh, practice starts around 10. 10 to 12 we practice um, and then shower everything eat some food or something if we have enough time or if we have a class we have to go straight to class because we have the our field was 100 blocks uptown so we had a shuttle that brought us back and forth every day mm. um, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays practice would be after so we would have classes in the morning and then clash like a 220 bus and then play till from 4 to 6 and then go home get dinner do work if we have any work to do um, and then picks up the next day so it was pretty much as a job on the mm. side of classes um but it was fun it, it was it was good to get us into a routine um just to plan our classes around each practice and uh and then the weekends was just games every, mm. every game every weekend or we'd have some weekends off which we would still practice um but uh usually traveling or maybe it's at home but pretty for the most part our our lives ra- revolved around soccer and then hit the books when we have have time to hit the books and then get good grades and then just like a circle. <laughs> right. And then I guess because with the NCAA, there's a, I guess during the off season, there's limited amount of hours that you're yeah. allowed to practice and spend time with coaches and things like that. Yeah. So what was that, that difference like and the individualized type of work that you would do outside of what was mandated from the coaches? Yeah, so we would have captain practices on the sides since we could only spend like a certain amount of hours with the coaches. Um, and then when we did have time with the coaches, they would split us up into like s- groups of seven. 
since we can't like practice more than seven people or something like that together. So really, yeah, it would interesting. Be like, okay, yeah, it would be like groups of seven, like seven guys over here, then seven guys over here. But um, it would usually be just people focusing on their their positions. So we'd have like defenders over here; they were doing defensive drills. Forwards over here working on shooting. Goalkeepers over here doing their own thing. Um, and then captain practices, we would just pretty much do the drills that we did with the coaches, but kind of just have it more be on us. Like we would have to be accountable for our own things, whether the coaches are there or not. Um, and th those are fun too. And then also in the spring, we would have little futsal um, tournaments indoors because we had the gym there. So we would reserve time there. We always just play around there. So it was nice just the spring because it was, it was a lot more relaxed in the season. Hmm. Not as demanding. We had more time to like do things that we wanted to do outside of soccer, just hang out and just bond more, just go go out to dinner and stuff like that, just hang out with friends. Um, but it, it was a good time. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess like transitioning and talking about post-college and how much you yeah. play now and do you play now? Um, what is that like? Um, yeah. Do you watch soccer still on a consistent basis? And I guess how present soccer is in your life um still pretty present i mean i watch i watch games from here and there i don't really follow the epl as much as i want i saw the liverpool game dan said you were hyped about that yeah <laughs> we got a big one tomorrow against yeah. man city oh, um top, yeah top two teams in the league right now man said he's not doing too hot though yeah so um, we'll see i'm hoping liverpool comes out with a win but yeah, yeah. we're uh, leading by like Evan points, I believe, six oh, points. So killing it. Yeah, yeah. So not too worried. Even if they lose the game, they're still up. So yeah, um, it's still an important match. But I'm excited. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, I'm still I still watch soccer here and there. Um, I don't know. Every time Barcelona plays, I just have a tendency to always watch Barcelona, just because like I don't I don't think we're ever gonna experience Messi, mm -hmm. anyone like Messi ever again. So every time they have a game, I I may go out of my way to just watch them, uh, them play, but. I still play here and there. Um, I actually just joined a league that starts up in like a week or two uh, in the city. Uh, it's full field <laughs> at Pier Good 40. Luck. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I need to get back into shape for right, that. Right, right, right. I've been trying to hit the treadmill at the gym, just trying to just get back in shape for that. So that should be intense. Um, but yeah, I'm still trying to trying to play here and there. I still play with my dad. Whenever we come home, me and Dan go and play with him on his little, um, it's like a pickup league with mm -hmm. a bunch of his friends which is always fun just playing because my dad looks forward to that stuff a lot because um, my dad plays like three, four times a week. Guy's an animal. Mm -hmm. um, I know. Can't <laughs> believe it. Yeah. yeah. He, he's still killing it. Um, but yeah, soccer is very much present in my life still. And I, I, don't know, just, I love it. It's like going on the field, just kicking a ball, just so much happiness. And it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. And before we transition, I wanted to do a couple like quick hitter type of questions that yeah. I thought would be kind of fun to kind of to ask you about your experience playing soccer um, that I didn't get to cover previously throughout this podcast. So first of all, you kind of alluded to it. Who would you rather take, Messi or Ronaldo? Because that's like the age-old debate. Messi, bro. Okay, so Messi's an alien. Yeah, it's it's insane. And he's like five six and five seven, and he can. He's like a wizard with the ball. So it's incredible it's what he does. Crazy. Favorite teammate that you've had. Favorite teammate? <laughs> Are you gonna get guys pissed off if you name just one? No, of them? <laughs> no I think I think everyone who knows me knows that I would pick Andrew Tenari. Um one of my best friends, my little brother. Um, but he's he's played for the USL, the Red Bull Two Second Divisions team right now. Yeah. Um, he's looking to go overseas sometime soon, which hopefully it works out. But um, 
the kid is like a little wizard on the ball, just mm-hmm. super technical, is super crafty. Um, just one of those guys who you could, if you observe him, you see him play, you know, his soccer IQ is out of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and still my best friend till his day, but yeah, my favorite teammate right there. <laughs> okay, got it. And maybe this is a little bit different, but who do you think was the best player that you played with um, throughout your soccer career? Um, played uh, with or played against, I guess. I would have to go with Adam Najem. I don't know if you know Adam Najem, but he his brother went to Columbia, David Najem. He was in dance class. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was with me, played Red Bull with me. Um, and he's actually, he plays for Bethlehem Steel right now. I don't know if he's still there, but he's he just got like three or four caps for the Afghan national team. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So yeah, he's he's doing pretty well, but just, just a great player. Um, just, just, so good <laughs> like if you watch him play he's like this guy's this guy's great um he's a central midfielder great vision scores goals um and just same thing just that soccer iq is ridiculous mm-hmm. and i mean i think the last thing that i wanted to kind of ask you through this whole soccer experience was is there was there anything that you wanted to add or were there any lessons that you felt like you learned from soccer that you could apply to life um yeah, I mean, I guess just just having that accountability and just bettering yourself all the time just helped me with life in general. Um, and just just if you need or want something, you just gotta try to work for it, uh, no matter how long it takes. Just you have to practice, whether it's every day. You just gotta do at least something every day to to improve yourself um, and better yourself, uh, which is something that I hold to this day. And just soccer's always taught me that. You just gotta keep grinding, and eventually, what you what you want will happen. Just got to work. Yeah, and I mean, Louis now graduated college. I can't believe he graduated <laughs> college. Thankfully, he graduated college. What so, yeah, your parents are <laughs> your parents are extremely happy. They don't have to think about you uh, struggling in school and all that type yeah. of stuff. But what are you doing now? Are you are you working? Are you? I mean, what other things are you doing right now? Yeah, so I'm working uh, in the city. Um, the West Side, Midtown, uh, for a media company, uh, Quotient. I'm a data analyst there. Um, just like a tech company, we focus on like um, just mobile advertisements, um, just to get for CPG products, just to bring sales lifts and stuff like that. Like if we want like these Kleenex wipes at Walmart, uh, I would do like the analytics on that. Like we um, we raise like the Kleenex sales by like four point one percent lift and stuff like that. Nothing crazy, but uh. Super relaxed job. I like it. Um, a lot of people there are young, so it's it's a nice laid back kind of environment. Um, so that's that's what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I mean, and it, I think it's really cool to see that you transition from soccer playing to this job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess we can. I one thing I did want to ask you that I now remember yeah. was: Did you ever have dreams of playing like professional soccer or possibly trying to pursue that? I did. Um, because of all, th- because you played with a bunch of people that yeah are the at that level yeah um, I did I, I don't know I just c- kind of like the same thing with Dan just like we just had that moment where we're just like all right this might not be something that's gonna happen soccer might not always be there so uh, our parents always ingrained education mm-hmm. um, so as time went on like I was I was good but like there's just I don't know I just didn't. I just thought more about the education more um, than going pro. 
and then I just focused on that rather than try to pursue it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say I lost belief in it. I just kind of just wanted to focus more on like my future as if soccer wouldn't be there because soccer wasn't always promised. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, when I was little, yeah, I always wanted to be a pro, but I got older and just, I was like, eh. Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> Louis, I think sixth or seventh grade when I remember like meeting him as, as Dan's younger brother. He was saying he would wanted to always be his, a professional soccer player or a pro basketball player yeah. or something like that. <laughs> five, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, five point guard. <laughs> Mugs and um, Bogues. Yeah. So, I I mean, it was, it's kind of cool to see that transition and yeah. the realization. And I think to the second part of our podcast and what we're going to talk about is your music stuff, which yeah. is kind of taken off and really cool to see you know, Louis' name on Spotify yeah. and all that type of stuff. Um, and how did you get into that? Because I think when people think about music and sports, it's not super related at all. Yeah. Um, there's always that saying that rappers want to be basketball players, basketball players yeah. want to be rappers. Yeah. So how did you kind of get into into the music world? Um, I've always loved... Oh, my God. I've always loved... <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I guess Dan put me onto it cause I literally followed Dan and everything. So Dan would be listening to, to R and B and all that hip hop and rap kind of stuff. And I would always just listen on with him and just go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I enjoyed singing when I was little, like I just never really told people about it. It was kind of like a more like Louie thing. I wasn't really putting myself out there like that. Um, which is weird. Cause like I always wanted to be a singer first. Like I didn't even know I could rap or do any any of the stuff that I, I've made so far um but yeah so I started making music with a friend in college actually junior year junior spring um off season from soccer one of my friends who lived in the same dorm as me had like a little studio not a little studio he just had the mic he had the software and then he would just whatever he would record and, and hang out there and so he told me to to, to come through one time and I was like all right I'll, I'll come um and we actually like made a song after like two or three weeks. Um, and that's where it, it first started. That's the first time I ever made music. Um, and then once I graduated, um, I don't know, I didn't, I just didn't touch it for a long time. I just focused on other things like getting a job, <laughs> like freaking mm-hmm. out, freaking out about getting a job and stuff like that. Um, and then, so I finally got a job and then I eventually moved into the city around like two or three months after lived at home for like two, three months to save up some money. Um, and then that's when I started just doing it by myself in my room. My girlfriend brought me, bought me a little mic. Um, I don't even know if I still have the picture, but just for like the acoustic and stuff, I put my desk in my closet, closed my, oh, cl- yeah. closed yeah, my closet. Yeah. You saw that? I, well, I'm aware because I, I don't know if I saw that picture, but I have a good friend, Dave, who's a really talented singer. Yeah. And in college, he we did the same thing. Yeah, where yeah. We, like, basically made the closet a, a, a home studio. studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then I put, like, three blankets over the top just yep. to, like, <laughs> keep the sound in there and just, like, have the acoustics right. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, so I did that for a little bit, and that was just garage band, But, like, nothing close to the quality that I have now just because I didn't have the soft, like, the proper software, like, the proper mic, proper setup at all. Um but at work, I have, I have a friend, Brandon, shout out Brandon, if you're listening. Um, but he is a producer, um, and he's been making beats since high school. 
I believe he's 28 right now. Um, so he's been doing it for a while. And, and one day he just invited me to come over and he'd be like, yeah, come, come mess around. Cause I sent him a thing I recorded in my little blanket studio mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, it's dope. Like come, come over and we could like hang out and maybe make something. And I was like, all right. Um, and he was living on the upper West side at the time. And so I, I went and we just, he played a beat. I just sat there with his friend actually who's, um, with the the feature on the song big brawn <laughs> um and we just made that song silk um in four hours and then that was the first song we ever made and from there i went back for like four or five months i think i worked on the project for like six months and every weekend we would just go in there and sh- he would play a beat i'd write something down and then we'd record it and then we'd finalize it the next couple of days and then it was crazy like mm-hmm. six seven months and then came up with eight songs and released it and i don't know it's crazy i never even think thought that would happen i know i mean so when you first put it out i was pretty surprised because i was like i didn't even know louis sang or rapped or did any of this music stuff yeah so when i i was pretty excited to listen to it and i was pleasantly surprised honestly to hear the quality of voice, the quality of the production, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it was really cool to see that because I only knew one side of you as this soccer player yeah. uh, guy that was extremely talented at soccer but had no idea about this music side. So it was really cool to see different sides yeah. of you and being able to kind of develop a different part that I didn't know about. Yeah. And I feel like maybe a lot of people didn't know about I, it as I well. didn't even know about right, it. Right, right. Like, <laughs> I, I, I like recorded that first song, and I rapped, and I was like, yo, I can actually do this. Like, mm-hmm. This is kind of cool. And then from there, it just became like, I still love to do it every day. And like now it's like it's something I love to do. Hopefully, get back in the studio soon, record more music. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just weird for me, especially releasing it, because I'm super quiet. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you like know me, know me. I'm just like a, a goof. I'm always joking yeah, yeah. around and stuff like that. But like to the outside world, I'm like super to myself so having my myself be out there and like my emotions and expressing myself it was so weird like i hated it at first because mm-hmm. i was just always super self-conscious but um now it's just like i've gotten a lot of good feedback people i like i haven't really talked to in a while I'll just be like wow like i love your music man like keep doing what you're doing and i'm like that really helps me keep going but it was super weird at first um no i feel you on that especially yeah. with doing this podcast yeah. as well there's like similarities of trying to share your opinions and share your thoughts on things and little me i don't i mean who would really want to hear some of the things that i have to say about my sports takes and stuff like that um but it's really cool to get some of the feedback that you get and the encouragement that you get from people that are around you and from people that you haven't heard from in a while and they're like oh wow i'm really enjoying this uh keep doing what you're doing and it's a huge encouragement to to hear those sentiments from different people yeah because it's super scary just putting yourself out there exactly super vulnerable right right Um, right. and i mean i did want to talk about if you saw any similarities between playing soccer and making the music that you made um i don't know i I guess it would be just a a way of expressing myself because like when you're on the soccer field you just you express yourself in the way you play just like your style and just like Mm -hmm. how how you are in the field like if you're relaxed if you're just like always running all over the place it's super super crazy but i guess it's just like a form of expression i guess um but yeah music 
just the same kind of thing, just a former expression. Um, and my relationship with music's changed like a lot because before it was like I listened to it as a hobby, like just like everyone does, like you rap the lyrics and stuff mm. like that. But now I look at it more as like a project. Now it's like more I look at it more as an art form because mm-hmm. it's just the time it goes into to like just making one song. Like right. the song I just released like last week. Um, I wrote that in like September. Mm-hmm. And it took like three, four months to finally like finalize it and be like, cause you have to mix and master it, go to the audio engineer. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure the sonics are good. Um, they're just, I just value it a lot more and I respect musicians, just people who make art a lot more. Yeah. Just because it's like such a long process. I had no idea about, like I'm learning all this stuff for the first time when I started making music. Um, yeah. And the work aspect. Is, yeah. It's like you, you, there's so much stuff that goes into it and everything has to like align perfectly before you have to release something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just, just express self-expression is the most important thing I think, um, in in just soccer and music. Yeah, and how'd you? I mean, you alluded to some of the R and B influences that mm-hmm. you had listening to some of Dan's music, uh, listening to the music that Dan listened to yeah. growing up. Are there specific artists that you kind of look towards as inspirations? Like I, the question I asked you about the soccer player yeah. that you looked up to. Are there any musicians that you? Uh, look for for inspiration um i mean when i was younger just singing r&b and stuff it was like it was huge during that like neo period yeah, yeah. when neo just like killed the so game sick. Yeah, yeah. so sick of love songs <laughs> sexy yeah. love like all that stuff i was mm. like that's when i was getting into r&b i was like yeah this guy's crazy mm-hmm. he's so good and that's like when i started love the r&b and stuff and like Mar- mario mm-hmm. um music for love you, you yeah. know guys like jay holiday like mm-hmm. all those guys when i was that, that got me into R&B and I, I always thought I was going to be a singer like I never mm-hmm. thought about rap once mm-hmm. until I recorded that first song I was like wow um, but rappers I mean today one of my favorite favorite artists um, is Saba okay S-A-B-A. never, never yeah, no not a lot of people have and just, mm-hmm. um, just a great just lyricist like I something I look for in music for me just that, that means a lot to me is just lyricism mm-hmm. um it's lyricism and flow and you're able to put that together and tell a story. It's like mm-hmm. it's such good skill. But I think he has the album of 2018 without, without a doubt. Like people argue with me all day, but like, I'm never going to not say that he has the best album of 2018. So I, I, I think it gets into some interesting territory and because I do remember when you're younger, you would, you would listen to a lot of music. You yeah. you liked listening to music uh, I remember you were really into R and B. You you had different rap suggestions. I remember asking. <laughs> yeah, we would go back and forth, especially yeah. with my boy Tyler, mm-hmm. who uh, let me use his song for the intro for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I remember sharing that with you guys, and you guys would be like, "Oh, take a listen to this and this and this." Yeah. Um. So it was kind of cool to kind of have that exchange. Um. An understanding of oh this is what Louis likes this is what I like yeah. and being able to sh- share in that common experience of listening to the to the song together mm-hmm. um, and you also touched upon that lyricism aspect of Saba um, and I've heard that in your albums too and trying to implement some of that into some of the songs that you've done um, I think while listening to your album right now. I've heard a lot of different, um, I guess a lot of different 
it comes from a very deep place. The yeah. music that that you've been able to create and put out there. Yeah. Um, what was that writing process like? Because I think that's something that I find fascinating when listening to music when maybe someone's like talking about like drinking in the club or yeah, something some like that. Whereas, stuff. whereas there's <laughs> other artists that kind of talk about a little bit more substance and yeah. have a little bit more depth to the music and to the lyrics that they're putting out there. Yeah. Um, writing process for me, um, I would just go into the studio or Brandon's apartment. I just call it the studio because he has a little home studio. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, it sounds um, we're, cooler. We're honestly. In, yeah. We're in a studio right now, but <laughs> yeah. it's my parents' basement. I so. my, I <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, I would just go to his, his, his apartment and, he would have like a select few beats he'd been working on um, and he would play something and I was like, all right, yeah. And then we would just, until we first, I heard that like right being like, yo, I could do something with this. Um, and then we focus on that and he'll touch it up. He'll work on the bass, he'll work mm -hmm. on the production and he'd have a loop just going back and forth and I would just write. Um, and I just try to write what I'm thinking at the time. Um, but like for Silk, it was just, that was kind of just like, a, I don't even know what Silk was. Silk was just like, I was in, in a vibe and we were just, that beat is just so nice and then mm -hmm. i just wrote those lyrics and we just went along with it we wrote the chorus together all three of us um and then he, uh big braun wrote his verse but i just try to go with what, I, what i'm feeling and stuff that i could talk about just because i can't be talking about like clubs and like <laughs> <laughs> buying bottles because i don't do that um, yeah yeah because it's not an experience that yeah, you can relate to exactly so mm -hmm. i i talk about things that i'm going through i mean i feel like my album has it's there's kind of like a order that it has like a little story so like mm. silk would be um just kind of like the intro like hi my name is louis like i'm just rapping singing stuff like that um guidance the second song is just um i don't really know what i'm doing but uh i'm just gonna keep pursuing this because it makes me happy um what's the third song is it <laughs> i literally I'm just forgot my album <laughs> <laughs> it's reminded oh reminded um that was more just like in a headspace of like something more like r&b-ish and i was like i want to incorporate mm. both hip-hop and r&b so that was kind of like an r&b song about like love like mm -hmm. that everyone could relate to um and then weekend it's kind of like an interlude song just like look i'm doing this like i'm having a lot of fun with it um i do this every weekend um i hope grandma's grandma's happy right now um mm -hmm. which like side note like the main reason i started making music was kind of like after my grandma passed which was like a huge um huge turning point i guess in my life uh where i was just like i really like i was depressed for like three four months just mm -hmm. like because she was like my best friend she was everything to me mm. um and then losing her was just like all right i really gotta i gotta do what i love like i can't i gotta start living life and then i started making music and i was just like i'm loving this i'm sure grandma will be loving this um doing what makes me happy um so that was like a huge part of making music um and then the next song after that what was um down i think mm -hmm. down it's more kind of like upbeat kind of like silk kind of thing um and just talking about like my relationship with music like it never it never lets me down because i mm -hmm. i have like a shitty day um and then i go to the studio and like everything's better because i can express myself i like let out some steam um and then slow time uh was about my girlfriend just showing showing some love there and then the final song was just about my grandma pretty much wraps up everything the whole project as in like i did this all for you like i hope mm -hmm. you're happy like i miss you every day i love you um 
but yeah, was, that, was, that was kind of like the whole story with the whole album. Mm-hmm. And then I've released two singles since that. Um, but yeah, the whole writing process is it's it's fun and it's it's also sad cause like especially the last song like I was crying the whole time writing mm. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my producer just working on the beat and I was like weeping on the couch. Mm. Um, but yeah, just it's just cool to be able to express yourself in a way that is like art i guess you could say like rhyming is cool mm-hmm. um flowing is cool like i i could literally just sit in my apartment turn on like a bunch of instrumentals and mm-hmm. be there for hours just trying to write stuff because it's like i find i don't know it makes me happy it's cool <laughs> yeah and it, i think it conjures up a lot of emotions and, yeah and the people that are listening to the song as well when reflecting on their own experience at least because that's what i was doing when listening to this song uh to your album yeah uh straight through and it and I think that's what, I don't know if you've, li- like, because I think nowadays with Spotify and all that stuff, yeah, it's very rare for people to kind of listen to a an album straight through. They'll just kind of see all the bangers that they like yeah, yeah. and just buy them or choose those and add them to their song playlist yeah. or whatever and not really give the artist their due in being able to listen to their album straight through and they're missing on the storytelling yeah. that's going on in the album itself. Yeah. So I, I was able to really appreciate that aspect of it and knowing you personally, knowing your grandma, meeting her yeah. countless times as well. It really conjured up memories for me mm. and being able to relate to that. So I really appreciated that. Um, and it, it seemed like, while you did talk about your grandma, I would say in, I would say in most of your songs, yes. you referenced your grandma yeah, in, yeah. in multiple songs, multiple places, yeah. and how present she was on this album. It seemed that you, it, a lot of it was you reflecting, and at least from what I'm gathering, a lot of it was from from that experience of reflecting, but also being able to eventually move on from that place yeah uh yeah i mean a lot of when it was written was like still in that like mourning period mm-hmm. i was so sad <laughs> it was just like yeah three or four months i was just like so down um mm-hmm. and i mean thank god it was for the music that like really helped me get through it mm-hmm. um i mean i mentioned it in my my latest song just like thank god i had i discovered all these songs thank god i had people who were still cheering me on and then like and then, like the second, like the last line of that verse is like, um, just saying like thanks, because my brother was just like he, when I released the project, he was just like I look up to you, and like I've looked up to Dan my whole life, so like hearing mm-hmm. that from Dan was like wow, like <laughs> I love you, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's just like a huge moment for me. Yeah, um, and it it was really cool for me to be able to listen to to that line to to understand that relationship that you have with your brother, because yeah. I I mean I have a younger brother as well, so I can relate to that, and yeah. my brother does is doing amazing things um, in SF and all that stuff with his life. Yeah. And it's really cool for me to say that I do look, to, do look up to my brother as well. So it's like, it, it made me reflect and relate to your guys's relationship and the relationship that I have with my brother. And I think that's what music can do. And it's so great that it can do that. Yeah. It's so powerful. Like at the end of the day, I just hope people can resonate with it. And uh, that's all I ask. Like, you don't have to bump it all the time. Like, if you felt something when you heard my song, like, that's all I care about. <laughs> yeah. And Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Seriously. And, I mean, I'm going to play it probably um, 
we'll close it out with it and we'll mm-hmm. and we had the song that we listened to in the beginning yeah and it's it's just really cool that I have friends that are close by that I can kind of be like, oh, look, they, they have talent. They have yeah. real talent that you can play their music and people actually appreciate and enjoy. So I guess before we close out the podcast, um, there's a couple things that I did want to touch on. Yeah. Um, how long was that process overall? Because you mentioned you started writing in September of, was that last year in 2018 or 2017? September was... So that was for the last song, okay. September 2018, the Got one that it. just came out last week. So that, that was like three months ago, three, four mm. months ago. Um, but so like we recorded Silk, I think the first time, Rough Draft, first version, mm-hmm. January 17th, 2017. Okay. And then the project came out July um, 6th. So mm-hmm. so about seven months seven, or so. Seven months of just grinding every week in the studio. Because mm-hmm. it was hard. Like I, I can't do it during the week because like I have work and stuff and I'm, I get home and I'm tired. So. Um, it was a little bit of sacrifice because like I want to make time for friends and my girlfriend, but I really have to go to the studio and finish this song with mm-hmm. Brandon. Um, but yeah, it was about seven months of just nonstop straight weekends, just writing, um, finalizing all the songs, getting all the mix and masters done for that release in July. But um, yeah, it was it was it was a seven month process. And I also did want to ask you about your live performance experience because i remember i saw that i think dan texted me or something like Mm -hmm. that that you had your like first live performance yeah and what was that like in comparison to recording the song in a studio that was crazy um i was so nervous man like i've never performed in front of anyone except it was like a microphone and brandon Mm -hmm. um so having like a room of 40 50 people just like staring at me um with the light on me i was like oh i was freaking out like the whole first minute i was like shaking mm-hmm. and i was like i was just grabbing the mic as tight as i can because i didn't yeah. know what to do <laughs> um but after that first minute i kind of just i just fell into it and i was like i, I could do this like this they're just me just pretend you're at the studio pretend you're in the mic like and it, it's just different too because for a live performance you don't have all the effects it's just straight raw voice um, right and like, i have to breathe correctly i have to take care of my voice like which that's something that I've picked up a lot more, like I'm drinking a lot more tea and stuff like that, just to have my vocal cords mm-hmm. be fine. Um, but yeah, it was the live performance is a lot different. Um, but yeah, and it, it's hard too because like I'm rapping so fast. So mm-hmm. if I mess up one syllable, then I can mess up like the rest of the verse. Right, and because but, it just doesn't match up. Yeah, it doesn't match up, and everything's off. But made zero mistakes. Um, could have hit some higher notes, like singing wise, a little better. But mm-hmm. it's a live performance. I'm not going to be perfect. Um, but if everything rap wise was good, everything was on point. Um, but it, it was a good time. It was just super nerve wracking at the beginning. But once I fell into it, everyone started. Like, I saw people in the crowd bobbing their head. I'm like, all right, all right, you guys are feeling it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I don't even know the next time we're going to perform. But yeah, I was going to ask you that yeah. next um, <laughs> because I can't even imagine performing live. But yeah, I was going to ask you like when you're performing next, um, if you have any plans to perform in the future and. I mean, you just released this new song, um, Ways, right? Ways, yeah. Yeah, and whether or not there's going to be more music in the, on the horizon, I know for musicians it's like, it, it's almost like this question of pressure yeah. when people ask that of, oh, when's your next stuff coming yeah. out? When you just finish this project that you worked on for three months and people consume it in three minutes or yeah. whatever, and... They're like, okay, I'm ready for more. Yeah. So some of those questions were 
do you have any plans to perform live in the future? And when do you think you're ready to maybe come out with an, a next one? Um, yeah, for the for performing, I don't know. I just gotta. I, I feel like it's more like on my my part to like reach out to to venues and be like, yo, can I perform here? Um, but I, I guess maybe in the future. I'm, I'm, just, I don't know, yeah, I'm, I'm setting myself up for manager yeah. position, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to just focus on, on work a lot more, mm-hmm. um, just to try to try to do well there. But no, music's always there. I'm, I'm definitely gonna get back in the studio soon. Uh, start 2019 with some some new music and stuff like that. Whenever yeah. Brandon's free. Um, but yeah, like the the music's just super temporary in terms of like how people consume it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could listen to something one day and you completely forget about it the next day, mm-hmm. um, which is hard, and that's like hard for me to stay relevant. Because I'm not releasing content like every month, so right. um, yeah, I just gonna get back to it. Um, hopefully, one of these weekends, get back in the studio, uh, write some more lyrics, and hopefully come out with more stuff. But I'm working yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I would think, especially that first album, I think a lot of you've been preparing, however long for that one out al- first album, whether it be utilizing all these life experiences that you've had in your past 22, 23 years of life. And then when the next album comes out, you, you basically used up like your best material. Yeah. So how do you feel like in terms of like experience in life and being able to balance those two aspects of being able to get enough life experiences to have things to write about and actually have things be interesting to write about instead of just talking about, I don't know, work or something yeah. like that i don't yeah that's 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 the hard hard thing too like finding inspiration stuff to write about um i don't i guess i just have to keep living life yeah, yeah. just like right, hopefully right. something pops up that drives some inspiration in my in my writing but um for the most part it's always just like what i'm feeling at the time but then again mm-hmm. i don't want to be like repetitive it's like i'm feeling lost again like mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't want to write another song like guidance mm-hmm. um but yeah i just i don't know i just when whatever comes to me hopefully I'm able to draw inspiration. It just comes out of nowhere too. It's like I I could think about something like boom, oh, I could write about that. And I like, if you look through my notes on my phone, I have like eighty, like ninety notes of just like random lyrics, just yeah. like random things. And I look back like make some, no sense. Some yeah, I look back no like someone I wrote like in college. I was like, what was I even thinking? Like I'm so mm-hmm. stupid. Like that doesn't even rhyme. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just try to draw inspiration from whatever, and then I try not to force it too. I just try to step away from music and be like, I right, was not mm. think about music um, yeah. at all today. Like, let me think about it tomorrow. Cause like, I don't know. I feel like when I'm in the studio, I'm a completely different person when I'm out. It's like, I'm literally two people. Um, mm. So like, I hope I just try not to force it. I, I want it to come to me. So it's organic. I don't want to write lyrics about things that I have no idea about. Um, I just wanted something that is straight from me, straight from my heart. Uh, Cause I think that's the most valuable a lot of people relate to that kind of stuff more. Right. Um, right. And especially just being in your twenties too. Like I know like a lot of people right now, like my age are like lost. Like they're, mm-hmm. we're all trying to figure our shit out. Um, but, um, I'm still trying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everyone, yeah I'm like, 27. I'm like, still trying. Exactly. Yeah. And like, that's super relatable, but, um, mm. I just, I just want to write something that kind of along those lines, but at the same time, different from what I've already produced. Cause I don't want to like talk about stuff I already talked about. Right, right. And it's that being able to see that progression and be able to move forward and grow and have something different and new so that people are drawn back again. Yeah, I just got to build that fan base. Yeah, I know, seriously. Like Waze is pretty much everything post 
mm-hmm. releasing project. Right. Um, and how everyone reacted, like, um, like how I've been reacting, like how I've been down and stuff ever since grandma passed and like mm-hmm. Dan's doing well. And like, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to be writing these lyrics and I hope it resonates with someone. But at the end of the day, ways like, like the app, I'm just trying to find, mm-hmm. we're all just trying to find our way out here. So, um, yeah, hopefully come up with new content and soon. And speaking of growing the, f- uh, the fan base or the, the following, why don't you shout out your social and kind of like My social? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mad professional. Exactly. So I'm the radio station here with K. Woo. Yeah, I'm gonna get you followers. <laughs> <laughs> get um, you like five followers. <laughs> yeah, I lose followers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <coughs> oh God, I'm sick. Um, so my Instagram is at l o u i e e e. So three e's, and then two four four. Um, so Louis two four four. And then Twitter's the same thing, same handle at L O U I E E E two four. And like, where can you find your music and all oh, that I'm stuff? I'm on all streaming platforms: Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, SoundCloud. Um, and you pretty much so my name, my rap name, I guess you could say, is L O U exclamation point E. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much it's an upside down I. I just wanted to switch it up, kind of look cool, but uh, <laughs> stylized Louis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't want it to be like Louis. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just uh, L O U exclamation point E. Mm-hmm. So yeah, on all streaming platforms. Yeah, uh, so listeners, give that a listen. I think if you guys enjoyed the intro music and uh, the closing music that we're gonna close out with, yeah. um, give Louis a follow, give him a listen, and I'm really appreciative that he's been able to come on the podcast, talk about his soccer career, and talk about his music stuff because I think it's. While sports is extremely important to me and something that is, I would say, one of the singular focuses that I always focus on, I definitely have other interests. I like music. I like different movies, TV shows, (laughs) things like that. So it's really interesting to talk to someone that's super passionate about two things at once and can do two things at once at a high level. So I'm really appreciative that Louis has been able to come on um, and maybe the next time you release some music, I'll have you back on again. <laughs> yeah. So some promo. Yeah, I know exactly. So <laughs> thanks, guys, um, for listening, and uh, I thank Louis for coming. On. I hope you hear this message, and I hope it makes you smile. Don't worry about me, baby, because I swear that I'll be fine. I got a girl with a mind on love, the kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I get back up. And I'm addicted, I can't get enough